Church, please be seated. Well, it's fun with that last song. It kind of leads us into the conversation we're going to have today. Because as we are wrapping up the series, we're, we're kind of in our... You ever find yourself in a middle spot between one thing and something else? That's where we are today. So we're in a middle spot. We're at the end of a series when we're talking about the importance of God's word. I'll let you down. Thank you. I am glad he's versatile. So we're at the end of, a, of the series where we're talking about the Word of God. And again, as, Rich, as Connor mentioned that to you, if you were to look in your notes and you were to look at the bottom of the page on notes, we just would encourage you this week to start reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And I would encourage you, as Connor said, to continue to read through the Gospels. And then as you finish Matthew, start in Luke. And as you finish Luke, go to Mark. And, and, or Matthew, Mark, then Luke, excuse me. But, uh, but I would encourage you to do that and just kind of start to walk through the Gospels. And as you read through the Gospels, spend some time there. But we find ourselves in that transition point. So we're at the end of the series on the Bible and, and talking about the importance of Scripture and the value of Scripture in our lives. And we're also at the beginning of Christmas season. We, we saw the decorations start to show up last week. Most of us have been watching the decorations showing up at Target and Walmart and other places. That's probably been starting probably before Halloween. It, you know, it's, it's crazy. It used to only be after Thanksgiving, now before Halloween. And next thing you know, it's going to be starting sometime around July 4th. <laughs> but, uh, but as all that kind of stuff happens we find ourselves in that transition. But we want to talk about coming into the new year and talk, going into Christmas. We want to talk about hope. So what's fun about, and it was intentional, but what's fun about us today is we get to talk about how the Bible is a story of hope and how the Bible introduces to us issues of hope. But then also as we grow and go into this Christmas season, we want to look at different parts of hope that Christmas reminds us of and the way we can have hope through this Christmas season. So, Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into, and we're going to go back to one of the areas that we've read from, but uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into it. Father, I want to say thank you so very much this morning for being able to spend time in your word. Father, for being able to reflect on your word, the promises of the word, the significance of your word. Father, and just the way that your word can flow over our lives and, and guide us and shape us and direct us and help us to live life with purpose and meaning, fulfillment, and victory. And Father, even as we're talking today, we can live life with a real sense of hope. So Father, guide our time this morning, I ask, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, if you look at the top of the, the notes there, you're going to see a number of verses from Psalm 119. And I would encourage you again to look at that. And I'm just going to read through some of these verses. But as you read through Psalm 119, and when we first started our journey, we encourage you to read through Psalm 119. But there are a number of areas as you read through that psalm that it reminds us of the hope found in the Word of God. So verse 49, Remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. But we see hope, hope, as we come to God's word. Go to the next verse there. That should be verse 74. 
Those who fear you will see me and rejoice. Why? For I put my hope in your word. So the psalmist is talking about this and he's reflecting. He says, listen, my life gets to be a testimony. My life and the things that are happening in my life get to be a herald, an example, God, of the greatness of your word because I have put my hope in your word. So as people watch and as people look and as people listen, they can get to rejoice in what's going on because I haven't... You know you have that old saying, um, you just pull your life up by the bootstraps. I don't know how you do that without knocking yourself on your butt. Okay? But people say that, but it doesn't work. Okay, but what is he saying? But I can put my help and my hope in the Lord, and he strengthens my life, and he buoys my life. Go to the next verse. I long for your salvation. I put my hope in your word. And then right underneath that, verse 114, you are my shelter and my shield. I put my hope in your word. And one of the things I really want you to get and why I want you to really understand is as we come to the scriptures, they are a source of hope for our lives. We can rest on that hope. And we go to that when, when things weigh on us, when things discourage us, when things cause fear, when things cause anxiety. What do we do? We get to go to the Word and we get to find hope as we spend time in God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. If we can thank, thank you. It says, For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, and I highlighted this part here, the hope of righteousness. is talking about Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. So where do we hear the message of Jesus? Where do we hear the story of Jesus? We hear about that through the Word. That's where we hear it. So again, that's one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to take some time to read through the Gospels and, and make that the next part of your reading. And as you establish that routine, maybe you're going to work your way through the, through the Gospels and then work your way through the New Testament. But what we see here that we have defined the hope of righteousness. And we read through the Scriptures, we read through the Gospels, and we're going to look at that and some of this in a minute. Do you ever find yourself living in a pretty flawed world? Yeah, we do. We, we, it doesn't take us long to look and to look in the news, to look in our lives, to look in our neighborhood, to, to find all sorts of major, 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 major flaws. And it doesn't take us long for us to realize that we are deficient and we are flawed. And when you read through Scripture, you recognize and you see in Scripture that because of our sin and because of our flawedness, we are alienated from God. And yet we come to the scriptures, we get to read through the scriptures, and we see that we eagerly wait through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. We have the hope as we read through the Word, and we get to be exposed to the reality that we can be made clean. We can be made right. We can be presented to God as pure and spotless, not because we are wonderful, great people, but because God is awesome, and because God has given us Jesus. And where is that story, and where is that information, and where is it all revealed to us? It's revealed to us in the Word. It's given in the Word. And so again, we have hope and a place to go to find hope. Now, 
We've walked through Genesis, and I just want to kind of go back and revisit the, the process of Genesis again. Because as you look at the notes here, I say Genesis tells the story of both man's continued failure and the promise of hope from God. And all the rest of Scripture starts in the accounts that take place in Genesis. This is the starting point. So let's walk through some of this again and just hit on some of this. And I won't read about Adam and Eve, but God made Adam and Eve. We see them. We see them in chapter 2. We see them in chapter 3. And we see the whole thing of God creating and placing them in the garden. And we see this amazing thing that God has done. God has created this universe, and then he's created this unique, special place on earth. Just for Adam and Eve. And then they blow it. They mess up. And when you mess up, I'm assuming you know you've messed up. We all do. But when you mess up, do you sit there with aspects of hope? Saying, how do I resolve this? And hoping that you can resolve it. Hoping that things can be rectified. Hoping that things can be changed. Hoping that things can be improved. That's what's going on with Adam and Eve. Now, God intervenes and God steps in. And we find out in the next part of the conversation that God has stepped in and God identifies the pathway of restoration. And that God identified the pathway where they could be reconciled to him through the process of sacrifice. And again, we see the beginning of the conversation. We see the beginning of the story as it lays down the structure so that we start to recognize that a sacrifice needs to be made in order for us to have our sin and our flaw issues addressed. Now that leads us ultimately to Jesus. But we see the laying down of the groundwork for us to understand. Now, pause for a second. Does anyone know anything about physics? I see a little bit like this. I know Connor took some this year. I'm I'm, I'm seeing some fingers being pointed, pointed, and I'm getting a little bit of, I don't know if I want to say that I know stuff about physics. Okay? Now, it's kind of fun. As we're doing this, we, we see this uh, voiding and pointing and all that kind of jazz. Why? How many of you went and you started physics in like in kindergarten? Okay, I know that's maybe a little bit too soon. You started in seventh grade, correct? You, you, you sat down with a physics teacher and they started to walk you through physics and they, they started to walk you through high math and all those kind of issues, correct? No? High school. Never. <laughs> I'm in the never category. I never had to take it. I'm so glad I didn't. But I've listened to people who've, t- who've taken it. You know what I know something? They didn't start you in physics. They start you with one plus one is two. And they start you with other simple, simple aspects of science. And they lay foundations and they, and they, and they do this thing called building blocks and helping to understand here. Now that you understand here, you can go to here. And now that you understand and here, you can go to here. And, and they do this building block process so that eventually, if you want to, you can study 
physics. Why? Because you've done the background work and you've done the preparatory work so you know how all those things work so that when you get to physics, you can now do physics. Why? Because you understand the history. You understand the underlying principles that make it work. That's what's cool about what is taking place in Genesis. And when we see the process that God comes to Adam and Eve, he recognizes and he has a conversation with them about the fact that they've sinned. And then we read about Cain and Abel, and we, have, we see this conversation that God has with Cain, and Cain is ticked off because his brother has offered a sacrifice, and God is not accepting Cain's sacrifice. He's really annoyed. And God says to Cain, Cain, if you would do what you know you're supposed to do, your sacrifice would be accepted. Cain understood that there was a difference between an acceptable sacrifice and an unacceptable sacrifice. That's one of the first building blocks that God is giving us that helps us to start to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished and starting to help us understand that there needs to be a sacrifice to address the problem of sin. We see that expanded. We see that conversation kind of blown out and, and, and put in big detail with the law. Because as God then through the, through the process, and you see this starting to show up in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, but as the law is now given, the whole groundwork and whole structure of the sacrificial system is given. And, and it's reminding us and driving home the need for sacrifice. But also, as you read Paul, Paul identifies, but that whole process didn't work because I, he says, the law killed us. The law showed us that we couldn't be good enough. We see that whole building process going on. But I want you to see this. Hope. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Cain kills Abel. But then we read, And Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. There's hope. There's hope still being given. Now it's through Seth that the process and the path of promise starts to reveal itself. And again, we've talked about this, but we see through the story of creation, we see through the story of Genesis, the pathway of the promise of God being revealed. The pathway of blessing. Is there a verse 26 in there? There should be one more verse. There we go. I put this together. I'm thinking to myself, I know it's there. <laughs> Thank you. It says, now, a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. Now, here's what's cool. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Hope. Now, do you know how many people were on the earth at this point in time? Any idea? I would suggest to you at this point in time, there's probably not many more people on the earth than are in this room. Okay? So Cain, Abel, first generation after Adam and Eve. Enosh, 
grandson to Adam and Eve. Now, 110 years later, after, after Abel was born, but not very long. So very early on in the journey, what is God driving down and communicating? Very early, people said, I want to worship and I want to know God. And God revealed a pathway and God is showing a pathway for us to walk with him. The opportunity for hope. Hope. The story continues. So, mankind's increasingly rebellious throughout the flood. We come to the, around chapters 9, 9 and 10, but we read and we come to Noah. And we come to the whole conversation through Noah. And all through this time, there's a line of blessing, but all through this time, there's rebellion. And God says, it's time to destroy the earth because man's wickedness has just permeated the earth. But he rescues a family. But I want you, as we look at this family, to notice something. Even in the heart of that, go to Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 24, if you'd pull that up. It's very good. Thank you. Now, Noah, as a man, was, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Go on. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Keep going. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both of their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness, and their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. In one more verse. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his son, youngest son had done to him, and it goes on. What I want you to see here is the reality that even when we have people that are righteous, people that were good, the problem of sin continues. The problem of flawedness continued. We then, after this, we read about what happened with the Tower of Babel and God confusing languages, and then we get to the account where God calls Abraham. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Would you go there? There we go. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. What do we see? We see the process and beginning of hope, the reminder of hope. God has been working the process. God is laying the foundations, and he's communicating the journey of promise. He's communicating the journey of hope. All of us, as, as if we rest in Jesus, hold on to Jesus, what do we do? We look back to this promise from God. We look back to this particular moment in history and we see the promise of the blessing of God and we see our current presence of a relationship with Jesus connected to the promise that God would bring blessing to us through Abraham. Through Abraham, ultimately Jesus comes. What I want you to see is we see the foundations, despite all the chaos, despite the problem, despite the confusion. And this is one of the things I really appreciate about what God does in the book of Genesis, and that what, what God does all through Scripture. He, we, we see individuals, and he, he presents to us key factors from history, but he doesn't make them all shiny, and he doesn't make them all clean, and he doesn't clean up their story and make it look like it's pure and, and just wonderful. 
He tells their story, he records their story, but he also, as he does this, he does not skip over the parts where you go, whoa, that is terrible. How could he do that? That's ugly. He doesn't skip over those things. He doesn't bypass those things. Why? Because he's identifying, I think, the reality that for all of us, all of us live in part of that world. As much as each of us want to do well, as much as each of us wants to be that really good person, every single one of us can come to those things and look at those things in our lives where we go, I am really flawed. And we see those places where we are really flawed. We see those places where we are incredibly deficient. And yet despite all of those deficiencies, despite all of those flaws, God continues to work through people, drawing people to himself, and also working through them to work out the process of bringing promise and blessing into other people's lives and ultimately bringing promise and blessing into our lives. And so I look at that and I find personally a huge amount of hope that despite the flawedness and the deficiencies of Andrew Brown's life, there is a God who still will love me and a God who will still have a place for me and a God who still wants to care about me and wants a relationship with me. And I would think the same would be true for you. That despite your flaws, your deficiencies, God loves you. And so we see, we walk through Genesis, we walk through Scripture. And we constantly see how God presents the incredible flawedness of the individuals being discussed, and yet how through and despite that flawedness, God reveals himself, God shows himself, and God continues to work out the process of promise and blessing. Because God loves us like crazy, and he's continuing to draw us to himself. And yet despite our deficiencies, we can walk with him and know him. And it's, but it's not because of how great we are, but it's because of how great he is. And it's because of what he has done to deal with and address our sin. We see the story continuing. We see that with Isaac. So look at Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. It says, There was another famine in the land in addition to the one that had occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerer. Go, keep on going. The Lord agreed to him, appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien and I will be with you and bless you for I will give all these lands to you and your offspring and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commandments, my statutes, and my instructions. What do we see? The continuation of the promise. We see the continuation of a reason to have hope. The story continues and the blessing of God continues. Isaac, I made a promise to your father. Isaac, that promise is a promise I'm also making to you. And as we continue the story with Jacob, we see that same thing. Look at that in Genesis chapter 35 verses 9 to 15. God appeared to Jacob again and he returned from after he returned from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So if you ask your question where the Israelites come from, this is where they come from. So he named him Israel. 
God also said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to your father, to to Abraham and to Isaac, and I will give you the land of your future descendants. And God withdrew from him at that place where he had spoken to him. And Jacob set up a marker at the place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. And again, we see the continuation of promise. We see the continuation of blessing. Again, we read through the scriptures and we see the revealing of hope and the revealing of promise, revealing the, the re, a reason for which we can have confidence and trust that God is at work. And we see this all the way through as we walk through the scriptures. Now, go to Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 to 26. And this is where we read about Joseph. So the nation of Israel has now gone down to Egypt. They're going to be in Egypt for about 400 years. They were rescued. Now again, we talk about this incredible deficiency and, and, and dysfunction. I have four siblings. I have tussled and wrestled and fought with my siblings. I've never been inclined to sell one into slavery to get rid of them. Now, I tell this story. One of the highlights of my childhood was being able to knock Paul down the back stairs. There are wood stairs and he thumped the whole way down. Now, as a kid... That was a good day because he was older than me and always picking on me. So I, that was one of those days I won. Okay? But I would never have been inclined or desired to sell my brother into slavery. But that's exactly, exactly what Joseph's brothers did to him. You're so annoying. You're so irritating. We can't stand you. We hate you. We want to kill you. But we have people walking through here that are buying slaves. And instead of killing you and trying to bury you and go through all that effort, we're just going to sell you. We're going to profit from your absence. Goodbye. Good riddance. Hope to never see you again. Let's make a deal. Now, horrible, horrible, horrible. Yet in the midst of all that, God was at work. And it was through the very act that those brothers took in trying to get rid of their brother that their blessing and their provision was provided for by God. And so here we are now at the end of all of that having taken place and how they are now in Egypt and how the brother who was the abused party blesses his brothers, redeems his brothers, and sets them up to have life in Egypt. He's now dying. And he says these things. Joseph and his father's family, or jo- his father's family remained in Egypt, and Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's son to the third generation. The sons of Manasseh's son, Machir, were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. And Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Now, when you turn into, you read in Exodus, what happens when the nation of Israel leaves Egypt? They take with them the bones of Joseph. But why did Joseph say, take my bones? Because I don't want to stay here. This is not where I want. This, this, is, this is where we are, and I guess this is where you're going to temporarily inter my, my remains. But I don't want my remains to stay here. I want to go to the promised land, the land that has been promised to all of our family. That's where I want my body to be interred. That's where I want my bones interred. It was issue of hope, even on his deathbed. He was recognizing and he was seeing that the promises of God were yet to come true. And even on his deathbed, he was looking down the quarters of time, recognizing that there was promise and blessing yet to come. And he was anticipating that as he gave those instructions. Now, this is the story all the way through. All the way through, the rest of the Old Testament is the unpacking of what takes place in Genesis and what takes place in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The rest of the Old Testament unpacks all of that and reflects back to that, but it continues to rest on the promises and the hope that is being discussed. Now, hope promises something more, if you read in the bottom of the page, hope promises something more than just a wish or an optimistic thought for the future. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I've got a hunch. When the mega millions or was a billion dollar, whatever what it was, was over two billion dollars, I'll bet you some of us probably bought a lottery ticket. You know, you're looking at that going, two billion plus dollars? If that clears, at least I got a billion. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna win the two billion, you're going to pay a billion dollars in taxes, you're left over with the billion. So that's part of how that whole thing works. But my hunch is at least some of you bought a lottery ticket. And you're buying that lottery ticket, and you're buying that, says, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. One out of those hundreds of millions of tickets that are being sold, I might be the winner. And then it went on for a couple of drawings where no one won, and it kept on climbing, it kept on climbing, and finally, I, I think it was just one person who won. Yeah, just one person who won. I don't know if they collected or not. But one person won. When we talk about hope, we're not talking about like when someone buys a lottery ticket. Or when they were buying that lottery ticket for the couple billion dollar drawing. You can buy that ticket and you go, I hope. You know, when I wish upon a star. (laughs) You know, it's not that whole I wish, 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 wish thing, but it's probably not really, 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 really going to happen. You know, I, I, it's, you know, those people say, you got to play to have an opportunity, but you're, you're really, it's not going to happen. 
and, and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, probably a billion plus tickets were sold and didn't do anything. Now, I've been told that a billion is a really big number. You know, growing up, I thought a million was a big number. And, and then they say, when you think of a billion, it makes the, that million seem like absolutely nothing. So it's a lot. It's a big number. But when we talk about hope, we're not talking about well wishes. We're not talking about, well, it'd be fun if it happened. It'd be really cool if it took place. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about hope, it's not like buying a lottery ticket and holding on to an obscene dream that will never, ever, ever really happen. When we talk about biblical hope, we're talking about grabbing onto something that we know is real and will happen. If we're talking about something we can hold on to and it will take place. That's the difference when we talk about hope in Scripture. And when the Scripture is a story of hope, it's talking about something that we can hold on to and that we can have confidence in. So when Scripture talks about we have a hope, we're not talking about well wishes. We're not talking about happy desires. We're talking about something that we can have confidence in. So look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has given us his great mercy, because he, of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Not well wishes. Not something that's aspirational. We're talking about something that's absolute something we can count on, something we can depend on. Now again, we all come in. We find a spot to sit, and we bend our knees. And we start to sit down. As you sat down in these pews today, were you saying to yourself, I hope it works? No, you were sitting down with a real degree of confidence that as you placed your tuchus on the cushions that are there, you were going to not fall to the floor. That the bench was not going to fall apart and leave you hurting as it all fell apart. You sat down with a real degree of confidence that when I sit down, I am going to be able to literally sit down. You had hope. Now, you didn't come in thinking you had hope. You came in with that expectation and with that anticipation and with a huge degree of confidence that when I go in there and I sit down, it's fine. In fact, you were so confident of it, you probably didn't even think about it at all. You just did it. That's the kind of hope we're talking about here. We're not talking about a dream. We're not talking about this crazy hope that would really be cool if it happened, but the chances of it really happening are so obscenely limited, it probably will never, ever, 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 ever happen. No, we're talking about something that is confident we can be dependent upon on. We We can take it, in a sense, to the bank. 
Because of a great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Keep on going. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Pause for a second. I have no idea who won that $2 billion lottery. But can I guarantee you that $2 billion they won, they don't have $2 billion anymore. At least 50% of it, gone. And everybody they know is knocking on their door asking for something. And here's the other thing. It's going to fade. It's going to disappear. They might put something in the stock market. It'll go up and it'll go down. And then one day they're going to die. And guess what? They're not taking any of it with them. But here, the inheritance that we have in Christ is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it is kept in heaven where it doesn't lose value, it doesn't get stolen, it doesn't disappear, and when we close our eyes for the final time, we don't lose what Jesus has set aside for us. Because we have it forever. Keep on one, one, one more, I believe. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, this is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. This is the hope. When we sit and we walk through and we look at the scriptures, this is the hope that the Bible is talking about. This is the hope that the Bible continues to reveal. And so when we sit down and we read through scripture, we read through the account, we read through history, and we are reminded of the fact that you and I, that we can have hope. Despite all the deficiencies, despite all the flaws, despite all the chaos, despite all of people's problems, our problems, and all the problems that we read about in people's lives, despite all of that ugliness and dysfunction, there is hope because God is at work. God is working beyond, above and beyond all of that stuff to bring to us the promise of Jesus. And when we come to faith in Jesus, it is given to us and we have it forever. It doesn't disappear. Hope. I want to encourage you to rest in the hope of God. And I want you to recognize that as you read through the scriptures, we get to read through God communicating to us and God showing us again and again and again that we can have hope. i got to be honest with you. I look at life. I like life. I enjoy my life. There's many, many things about which I am happy in life. But if it weren't for the promise of Scripture, for me, life would be super, super empty and super unfulfilling. Because if all of life was living, breathing, enduring my 60, 70, 80 plus years and then closing my eyes at some time and it's all done for me that would be the epitome 
of futility. And I would look at all that and I would say it would be absolutely pointless. Now for me, that would be so defeating. And I could easily understand those that over history have looked at life and and saw the futility of life. And it's a whole conversation that Solomon has in the Song of Songs. It's a whole conversation he goes through because he comes through and says, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Think about all the great things that someone's going to do or all the great things that people have done in the past. And someone at some point in time is going to come and they're going to reverse those things and change those things and alter those things. Nothing lasts except for Jesus and except for the promises of God. Caesar felt he was amazing. He altered the world and he established uh, help to bring Rome to prominence and it was in a place of prominence for about 700 years. But it degraded and it got run over by, the, by barbarians. It got destroyed. And on top of that, Caesar isn't laying in his grave looking back in a mirror, looking at everything that's happened. He has no clue. Why? Because he ceased to be, if, if, if we listen to what the world has to say. Meaningless. Pointless. If that was life, and that's all that life offered, incredibly defeating. But when you read through Scripture, you realize that there is more to life than that. There's a purpose for life that goes beyond what takes place from what I see, from what I can touch, from what I can feel. That there is aspects of what it means to live in relationship with God and that one day I get to leave this journey and I get to enter into God's presence and I get to be with him forever and that there's purpose and meaning that I get to build towards and my life has purpose and meaning both for today and my life has purpose and meaning for eternity. That motivates me to live. And where do I hear that? And where do I find out about all that? I find out about that in the word of God. I find about that reason for hope as I listen to the word. There is a reason to wake up today. There is a reason to engage in life today. There's a reason to walk with God today. There's a reason to have conversation with people today. There's a reason. We see all of that and we hear all of that and we're shown all of that as we take time to read and to dig into God's word that he shows us purpose that takes us into eternity and through eternity. That's motivation. That's hope. That is hope. And so I would encourage you, take time, spend time in God's word. Listen to the promises. Listen to the things he tells you. Now we're going to talk about God's word and we're going to talk about other aspects of hope over the next couple of weeks. Now it's hard to believe. Three Sundays from today is Christmas Day. Can you believe that? 21 days. It's Christmas Day. Poof, right now. 
But in the midst of that, there was reasons for hope. We're going to look at some of those things because God just gives us incredible reasons for hope as we walk and listen to his word. We're going to have fun walking through that. Now this morning, we get to partake of communion. And as we think of the overarching and the big story of Scripture, this is the big story of Scripture. Now, if you don't have a communion, one of these things to do communion, just wave your hand. Vicki will help you guys. We've got right here. And I have one more here. I'll hand to Connor and he can give it to you if you're up front. So, but this, this represents the big story of hope. This represents